Welcome to Translating Aging, a podcast about how the science of human longevity is transforming the way we treat disease. Translating Aging is produced by BioAge Labs, a clinical stage biotechnology company developing therapies to extend healthy lifespan by targeting the molecular causes of aging. I'm Chris Patil, VP of Media at BioAge. For our 20th episode, we have something special. As our listeners know well, the biology and business of aging and longevity have been blowing up over the past few years, and this has required a massive influx of talent and enthusiasm. In turn, the individuals coming newly into the longevity space require a source of information, inspiration, and community. The desire to answer that need led to the formation of On Deck Longevity Biotech, ODLB, a continuous community where people come together to build, join, or invest in revolutionary longevity biotech startups. Today, we're joined by Nathan Cheng, the program director of ODLB, who'll tell us about where ODLB came from, what it's accomplished thus far, and how he is thinking about community building and startup culture in longevity biotech in the years to come. Nathan, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Chris. It's a huge honor. I really love what you're doing with the podcast. It's uh, amazing. I've listened to all the episodes. Huge fan. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. And right back at you. We are huge fans of ODLB, both here at Translating Aging and at BioAge in general. So let's just dive in. I wanted to start with a couple points of background about the parent organization. Like, Can you just contextualize briefly what is on deck? And how is ODLB related to it? I guess at a high level, on deck is where people come to start and accelerate their companies. It's also a place where people start and accelerate their careers in the startup economy. But I guess you could say more technically, on deck itself is a venture-backed startup with investors like Founders Fund, Village Global, and a bunch of other well-known names. And also, you know, a few months back, on deck also raised a $100 million startup accelerator fund called ODX, which also allows on deck to back founders at the early stages. But going under the hood, what really makes on deck unique is that it's a huge network of interconnected program communities. We have communities centered around specific career goals like chief of staff or product management or data science. But we also have communities centered around specific startup sectors like fintech, climate tech, deep tech, and of course, longevity biotech, where I'm currently the program director of the On Deck Longevity Biotech Fellowship. How did you become involved in ODLB? And, and maybe first, backing up a couple of steps, I know you have a background in the longevity space. And so maybe you could tell us first what you were doing in the area before you joined ODLB. Right before I was you know, affiliated with On Deck, I guess I was mostly sort of building community on my own through a combination of different things. So first and foremost, my newsletter, which was called Longevity Market Cap Newsletter, and also building different resources for people who are interested in building in the space. So I started a website called uh, Longevity List, which was kind of like a jobs board for different startups in the longevity biotech sector. It's also like an industry database. And I was also, at the time, hosting a live podcast show called uh, Longevity Biotech Show, currently technically on hiatus. But uh, yeah, I guess you could say like most of my efforts were focused around just getting more people involved in longevity biotech, whether that was founders or people joining companies or also investors. So I got connected to the CEO and co-founder of OnDeck, Eric Torenberg, sometime around early 2021. And we had discussed a way for us to potentially work together to build a community centered purely on longevity biotech, just to really help accelerate progress in this field and get people mobilized and uh, plugged in, into this industry. That's a great summary of what you've been doing beforehand and a great start on telling us about what ODLB is doing. So I gave a little bit of introduction earlier, but I'd like to hear you say more about the overall mission of ODLB. Like, what's the audacious goal that it's setting out to achieve? ODLB's mission is really 
to increase the number of people working to build longevity biotech startups. So that could be, you know, founders starting new companies. It could be people looking to find a new role at a longevity biotech startup. It could be scientific advisors from academia looking to advise different companies and also investors getting plugged into the system, potentially helping build companies by backing them with capital. The problem that we had or that we were trying to solve at the beginning was when you're thinking about the problem of aging, there's different ways that you can get involved, right? You can obviously get involved on the academic side by joining academic institutions, doing research on aging biology, on fundamental you know, biological research. And there's well-known sort of institutions and uh, academic institutions, universities, where you can find people and get plugged into that system. But when it came to actually getting involved in the longevity biotech side, which is, is still quite new, there wasn't really any one place to find other people and get connected to longevity and actually join this industry or find other founders or connect with people who are also building in this space. So that was kind of the problem that we were trying to solve. Were there other kinds of cultural or intellectual obstacles that you're overcoming? And the motivation I have for asking that is everything you just said made perfect sense, but I don't see there forming out in the world similar kinds of efforts for oncology or for another kind of disease state. There's something apparently special about longevity and whether that's intellectual or cultural. Why do you think the longevity biotech space stands to specifically benefit from an endeavor like this? I think it's a combination of a few different things. But first and foremost, longevity biotech is still a new field, right? This, this whole geroscience paradigm is still quite new. And I think, you know, underinvested in, in terms of just like capital, but also manpower. So not many people even know that there are companies developing drugs in the context of aging that could potentially treat or prevent multiple age-related diseases at the same time. That's not commonplace. That's not common knowledge. There's that part. But another thing that comes to mind is people who are interested in aging actually come from a lot of different walks of life. So not everybody in ODLB is an aging biologist. We have people who come from the tech startup world, people coming from more traditional AI machine learning. We have people who are serial entrepreneurs and so forth. So I think partially there's a, a lot of enthusiasm for people out there who come from non-traditional, non-biology backgrounds who want to actually do something about aging. And there wasn't really a place for them or at least a clear path for them or community in order to get plugged into working on this problem. So I think being able to create a community like that through ODLB really helps bring in that sort of untapped human capital into this domain. I think that's a really valuable part of what we're doing. I'm getting a pretty clear sense of the overall mission and goals of ODLB, but now I'd like you to tell us, in starting with the broadest terms, how do you go about achieving those goals? To achieve our goal of increasing the number of people working to build longevity biotech startups, we need to find people first and foremost. So that's probably our biggest challenge in the sense that we need to find those people who are really passionate about this space and looking to start new things or build in the longevity biotech sector. It's not a trivial problem trying to find these people. They're scattered all over the world and all different sorts of communities. So for us, what we try to do at ODLB is do these like outreach efforts to find these people first and then do a lot of screening and uh, interviews to find the people who would be a great fit for this community and bring them together. And then in that sense, once we have this curated community of people where it's very high signal to noise, 
and the people who bring all sorts of different expertise and also you know that really high conviction and passion for building in this space. Once you bring those people together, incredible things start to happen because you've sort of increased the surface area for serendipity, increased frequency of potential collaborations and connections. So that's basically what we do in order to sort of facilitate this community and uh, all the different types of collaborations that can come out of it. Let's talk a little bit more about how the community is structured. So I know that one aspect of the community at ODLB is people called, I think there might be just called members or possibly mentors. And that includes founders, operators, and investors who are already working on frontier ideas and longevity biotech. There are about two dozen of them. And I should mention that one of them is Kristen Fortney, the co-founder and CEO of BioAge. So what's the role of these member mentors in ODLB? We're super happy to have Kristen contribute as a member and founding fellow of ODLB. And yeah, basically we have a bunch of really great mentors and founding fellows from all sorts of different backgrounds in the longevity biotech sector. And mostly what they do is provide guidance to other people in our fellowship. They can do office hours. Some of it's one-on-one, some of it's a small group office hours. We also typically have our mentors come in and give talks, just sharing their expertise from the experience that they've gathered from building in this space firsthand. And I think that's really important because there's really not that many founders in the longevity biotech space. It's growing rapidly and so forth. But for people who want to get into this space, it's hard to find these people and to get connected with them because there's just so few of them around. So to be able to bring them all together in this one central place and to create ideas and also give guidance, I think that's been really gratifying to see in our community. One of the things that strikes me again and again as I kind of enter into a career in biotech is just how important it is to have the right people to talk to and have, for lack of a better word, the permission to approach them with your questions. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that we try and do at ODLB is to facilitate those connections. You know, because like you said, some people are very shy, right? They feel like, you know, these rockstar founders are so, so, you know, far removed and difficult to reach. So just to be able to put people in the same room virtually, so to speak, and able to converse and just have a casual conversation, I think that's really useful. And it doesn't have to be just people who are way above and farther down in their career progression. I think also connecting people within the fellowship to people who are just like a couple steps ahead of you, that's also really beneficial too. This leads me to a digression. It's a thought that occurs to me again and again. So neither you nor I are crippled by shyness. We're both extroverts or can pass for extroverts in public. And I'd just be curious to know your thoughts about this. Do you feel like the startup culture, to the extent that there's a single one, overly rewards extroverts and unfairly punishes introverts or people who have more inward-facing styles? I think it's definitely possible. In the startup world, one of the things that's really important is having a network and doing all these sort of like networking things. So actually, you know, myself, I wouldn't consider myself an extrovert in any sense of the word. I would consider myself actually just like an introvert who can pass for an extrovert. And uh, when I was doing my PhD in the University of Toronto, it was in physics. So it was just like very scientific minded person, very technical sort of endeavor. And, you know, at that time, when people talked about networking or business networking, I always felt like that was maybe a weird term, like a very nebulous term that maybe was just like part of my French bullshit or something like that. So it's true, you know, for some people coming from, you know, the scientific domain, this whole idea of networking is very foreign to them or nebulous. So I think 
being able to talk to many different people requires a little bit of extroversion. And for us, having our program designed in such a way to facilitate and encourage people to be more connected to each other. So for example, one of the things that we do at ODLB is we do curated connections. So basically what this means is within our Slack community, we'll go through our cohorts and look at their background and their needs and their interests, and we'll manually match them to other fellows within our cohort. We set them up and send a message to them so that they can connect and sort of encourage them to set up a one-on-one Zoom call. So all of this, like, you know, uh, maybe too shy to, you know, reach out to this person. We sort of try and make that friction, that barrier, that friction to be a little less in order to facilitate connections and people talking to each other. I was tickled when you said that you didn't think you're an extrovert because I think of you as an extrovert. You know, there's this, uh, what do we call it? Ascertainment bias, right? I only see your publicly facing persona. I can imagine you in an ad saying, I'm not an extrovert, but I play one on Twitter. <laughs> it's very possible we use social media to amplify one's message, even if one is not just like a crazy extroverted person. And I was really interested to know what you had to say. And it sounds like ODLB has kind of recognized a potential failure mode of people who, if you rely over much on people's own initiative and own willingness to kind of overcome an activation barrier to get in touch with somebody or to form a network connection or to reach out to that person who might provide a mentorship benefit to them. If you rely on people doing it themselves, maybe they're not going to do it. But if you give them a map, if you give them permission, if you give them the literal connection, if you schedule the appointment, they're likely to do it. And then they realize, you know, hey, this was a huge benefit to me. It wasn't that hard. Maybe the next time, now that I know what I'm looking for, I can reach out and I can make a connection on my own. I don't in any way mean to trivialize it, but in the most positive way, like training wheels for professional networking and network development. Yeah, I think that's a great analogy for sure. So we talked about the mentors and the people that you brought in, and it really is a who's who of Longevity Biotech founders. And I encourage listeners to check the website. There's going to be a link in the show notes and look over the pretty massive array of talent at that level in ODLB. Those are the founding mentors. And then there are the fellows, which is a a much more diverse and much larger population. And these people have backgrounds all over the map. So you had said that there was outreach, but my understanding is there's also an application process before they're admitted as cohorts. Tell us what kind of outreach is done, both in terms of just advertising and other kinds of outreach, and then what somebody then needed to do to get into one of the ODLB fellow programs. In terms of outreach, we do a lot of different things to let people know that this community actually exists and what we offer and how it could be valuable to them. Some of this is traditional social media, different other avenues like Clubhouse. We also do a lot of cold outreach to people that we think would be a great fit for our community. We obviously reach out a lot to the scientific community as well. So different academic institutions, people who are maybe doing PhDs or postdocs in aging biology or different domains of biology around the world. But then in terms of how it works for someone to actually get into ODLB, after we've done outreach and people have discovered our program, they have to apply via the website. There's just a couple of questions in the initial intake form, and that lets us sort of look at their background and get a sense of what they're trying to get out of the program and whether they'd sort of be a good fit at first. And then after we've done that initial screening, we do interviews with all the successful applicants who have gone through the screening. And at that point, then we sort of decide based on our conversation after a short interview, who would be a good fit. 
we have different criteria for what we're really looking for, but in general terms, I would say we're really looking for three things. So number one, we're looking for someone who has conviction to be building in this space and for long-term. You know, we don't want people who are just like sort of discovered this, you know, on a, a YouTube video and, and then just kind of like, this is a whim of theirs, right? We want people who have demonstrated that this is something that they're really interested in and they want to be building on this because this is where they see themselves in like five to 10 years, this sector, longevity biotech. And then number two, the second criteria that we're looking for is someone who has some sort of expertise. It doesn't necessarily just have to be biological sciences. It can be people coming from AI, machine learning, data science. We have people who are more operations focused, people who are serial entrepreneurs. We have people who are investors. So we have quite a diverse background of people who are within ODLB. And then number three, the third thing that we're looking for is people who would be a good fit for a community in the sense that they're very positive sum thinkers. So the only way that a community like this will actually work is if people are willing to help each other, they're willing to talk with each other, share ideas, and just generally be helpful. You want those people who are just good to be around and very helpful. I can vouch for the third thing. I've met quite a few members of the two cohorts so far, and they seem to have that third quality in spades. When I'm at networking events here in the Bay Area, many of which have been organized by you, but also a couple of other biotech networking events, and I meet people, especially people starting out in the longevity biotech space or younger people, I often find that the most engaging ones are ODLB fellows, and they definitely have a lot to say and are very generous with their time and with their thoughts. So at least from the outside looking in, it seems like you're succeeding at meeting your criteria. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Once the fellows join a cohort, how does it get started and what kind of programming are they involved in? When we start a cohort, basically we have anywhere between 80 to like 120-ish people come in within a single cohort. We do like a really great kickoff just to like introduce people to the program and to each other. Usually we have a kickoff speaker. But then basically throughout the entire year, because the program lasts for a year, we have different types of programming every week. It's a mix of different things. We're always iterating on the format. But in general, you can expect speaker sessions with well-known experts from longevity biotech and the biotech industry. We have office hours with mentors. Some of that's one-on-one, some of that's small group office hours, just to facilitate more intimate discussions and more guidance. And then we also do curated connections, which I mentioned before, which is us manually matching different people within our cohort based on their interests and their backgrounds. We also do in-person events. So I didn't mention this before, but most of our programming is online first because we're trying to serve this global community of people who are interested in longevity biotech. You know, they come from all over the, all different parts of the world. We also do in-person events now that COVID restrictions are kind of dying down. We've done meetups all over the world in San Francisco, obviously, but also in Boston, New York. We've done meetups in Miami, UK, in Cambridge, Berlin. It's been really great to be able to connect people in person because as great as Zoom is, there's something to be said about actually having, you know, face-to-face interactions with people. And I think that's really great that we can do that on a global scale as well at ODLB. We do some other bigger events as well. So we do... Uh, longevity biotech job fair. So bringing in a lot of different companies from the longevity biotech space, bring them together and have them sort of pitch their companies and open roles and then have breakout sessions afterwards. We also do some online socials. We have different tools to facilitate rapid fire sort of 
networking. It's almost like a, a speed dating way of like meeting a bunch of different people within our cohort. We'll also be doing career panels and also, you know, sort of a, a bigger global meetup probably in September this year as well. Wow. So at the end of a year, at a minimum, each fellow is going to have a really impressive network with a lot of personal connections with people at different stages of their development in longevity biotech and with different skill sets. You know, that's an incredibly valuable thing to have in your Rolodex is if you have a question about something to know exactly who the person you'd want to talk to and feel like you can just reach out and talk to them. That seems like it'd be hugely valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Having a big network definitely helps in terms of having resources and guidance from all sorts of different walks of life. And it's also great because we have this Slack workspace where the entire community can surface different asks and offers and connect with other people as well. There's some temporal distance between the first and second cohort. You had a little bit of time with the first cohort to observe and learn and potentially change your approach with the second cohort. Were there any learnings that led you to modify your approach as time went on? Yeah, definitely. We're always iterating and experimenting with different types of programming and different ways we can facilitate interactions. One of the things that we learned early on is that people are busy. They have schedules. What? Basically, I would say, (laughs) surprise, surprise. (laughs) I would say 99% of people in ODLB are not planning to do ODLB 100% of the time. They have a full-time gig, whether that's researching in university or they have a full-time job or they're an investor, whatever. People are really busy. So for us, at the beginning of the first cohort, we did like a lot of speaker sessions and they were really great and really informative. But I think just spacing those out a little bit more and also indexing more on connections in smaller, intimate discussion groups, whether that's think tank sessions, roundtable discussions, or more small group office hours, were probably more beneficial in terms of facilitating actual connections and actually getting to know people. So that's one of the things that we experimented with and uh, are trying new different formats for the second cohort programming. And then the other thing that we also are indexing on for the second cohort is more programming related to careers. Obviously, we would like to see more founders start companies in longevity biotech, but Founding a company or a startup, it's not a trivial decision. It's not for everyone. There's a lot of different reasons why you wouldn't want to start a company and people have different personal risk profiles or or they're going through different times in their life. So in the second cohort, we also have a lot more fellows who are looking for different roles at startups in longevity. They want to help build companies, but maybe not necessarily start their own. Or maybe they want to get the training wheels of figuring out what it's like to run a, a company as an operator first, as like someone who's working at a company, instead of, you know, just jumping straight in to starting or funding their own company. So we also index a lot on different programming towards people who are searching for roles or are also currently at a startup and trying to level up. Those are some of the learnings that we had for between the first cohort to the second cohort. And that makes a ton of sense to me, Nathan, because you bring these people in or they bring themselves into this community. And what you wouldn't want at the end of their experience was for them to make a binary decision. Yes, I'm going to found a company in longevity biotech or no, I'm not going to be a founder. And therefore, I'm going to go off into the wilderness and do something completely different. You want the recruitment mission of ODLB to, okay, we're going to generate new founders. But among the people who decide for whatever reason not to become founders, we also want them to be encouraged and empowered to be involved in longevity biotech in some other capacity. Am I getting that right? Yeah, exactly. I think 
just having more human capital in the longevity biotech space is a good thing. And immersing these people in this ecosystem just opens them up to opportunities. And maybe they're not going to start a company now, but maybe in the future, some sort of opportunity will manifest just because of their connections in the network that they formed here at ODLB. So I want to shift the conversation in the direction of the fellows and ask you, what kinds of learning have you observed taking place in the fellows? And specifically, I guess, I'd like you to answer from the standpoint of the mission of inspiring people to build, join, or invest in longevity biotech. Anecdotes welcome. Just tell me about some of your observations. Happy to report that all sorts of great collaborations have been taking place at ODLB. Uh, I remember on the very first day of ODLB1, so the first cohort, one founder had um, gotten a Slack message from a physician who was also in ODLB1 who uh, was looking to collaborate with him to be the administering physician for his first clinical trial. Oh, wow. So this was really interesting. Huge wins just right off the bat. We've had founders raise money from other investors who were in ODLB or in the ODLB network. We've had ODLB fellows be hired for you know roles working at different companies started by ODLB fellows within the community. So it's a two-way street, right? So being hired, but also these founders finding talent to fill their roles at their companies. I think that's been really great. We've had people find co-founders as well, people linking up to create new ventures in this space. So all of this is really great. And of course, we've also had people become advisors, whether they're scientific advisors to companies or business advisors for fellows who are starting companies in ODLB. So it's been really gratifying to see this all take place because during the interview process, you see all these different dots connect in your head because you're seeing, oh, this person should talk to this person. Oh, this person's working on this. I think it would be a great match if they talk to this person. And then when you actually bring all these people together in the cohort and let them interact with each other and introduce them, all these great things sort of happen. And then on top of that, all sorts of great things that you couldn't anticipate also happen. I think that's just been the most gratifying part of running this community. Actually, now might be a good time to hear from some of the fellows directly. Brian Hodge, currently a scientist at Fountain Therapeutics, a drug discovery company aiming to reverse aging in order to treat disease. ODLB has been a really great experience for me. First off, it's a great way to meet and network and interact, obviously, with you know some of the founders and CEOs that are really driving the innovation in the aging biotech space. But also, it's really been kind of a safe haven for potential founders to come together. You know, we had these mastermind groups that we kind of people that were like-minded and doing similar things or thinking in similar ways will meet bi-weekly and kind of throw out ideas. And it's really a place where you can kind of be vulnerable. And I've noticed that it allows starting a company, obviously, and founding a biotech company has been an easy thing. But I think there's this positive reinforcement kind of cycle that happens when you're constantly surrounded by others doing just that. You make friends that have founded companies and you start to say, okay, yeah, this seems like you know something I could do and something I can you know, be involved with. And I think on top of that, it's been really great. So, you know, I was kind of really interested in joining a biotech here in the space and the aging space and getting to hear from a lot of the VCs and investors in the space gave me a lot of tools where I can start to diligence companies myself and say, okay, yeah, this is a company I'm interested in joining and being a part of. You get to directly interact with some of these first-time founders, people like Martin Borgensen that started Gordian or Ben Kamen that started Spring Discovery. You get to hear their story and you can start to align and say, okay, yeah, I could 
see myself in this sector. I could see myself doing similar things and I could take some of my passions from my academic career and start to see how that could be translated into an aging biotech startup. Gabe Warshower Baker is a software engineer at Waymo, a self-driving car company. I've always been interested in solving ambitious problems and, you know, self-driving, I think was a pretty big one. When I look, take a step back and think, okay, what's even more challenging problem with even larger impact? I'm very much drawn to longevity. And the recent success, of course, of AlphaFold and other machine learning methods in this domain is very inspiring. I think that software can come in and provide a lot of value here. So I'm really excited to explore that. So ODLB has been amazing for me as some as a software engineer and machine learning engineer coming in because it's just an incredibly open culture. People are always very excited to respond to any question and go into great detail about their background. A lot of amazing people with like, you know, this person's a PhD in this lab or this person's, you know, a VC over here. And just being to go in there and just soak up all the information has been just amazing. You know, just you know, talk to some biologist who's running into this issue where, you know, he has these images of cells and it's hard to count them. It's just getting that level of deep understanding of the exact things people are running into is just absolutely critical for any sort of successful application of software or machine learning. So it's just been amazing. In terms of the entrepreneurship side, my goal with ODLB has been, you know, I want to figure out what is my thesis? What do I think is the best way to make longevity biotech happen? And that may mean I start my own thing if that's not aligned with someone else is doing. Maybe I find some like-minded people in part of the program, we do it together. Maybe I discover someone is doing something that's very aligned with my thesis and I just join that. That's fine too. But I just feel like this sort of free collaborative environment that ODLB has makes it very easy to do that broad search and also in terms of what thesis I want to find and also broad search for collaborators. We're getting close to the end of the time we have together. And I just wanted to give you another opportunity. You talked a little bit about a specific fellow's positive experience in the program, but more generally, what are the most important achievements of ODLB so far? In terms of the most important achievements so far through ODLB, it's been just creating a space, a space that everybody knows where they can get plugged into this industry, no matter what background they come from. So just putting ourselves on the map for people who are interested in building in longevity biotech, I think that was number one, our greatest achievement so far. And then number two, just creating this fertile environment where all these connections can happen. You know, we spoke about some of the specific ones, but I think even more just generally creating an environment which is also immersive for people who don't have a lot of background or experience interacting with biotech or the longevity biotech industry more specifically, and uh, just putting them in that environment where they're exposed to all these different ideas and they're thinking, you know, really planting the seeds in people's minds in terms of what they want to achieve in this space and giving them that network, you know, that support where they can, you know, call on people to potentially collaborate or get guidance on building these sort of projects into the future or also helping other people build by joining companies or investing. Generally, it's just been really great to create a community for longevity biotech where there really wasn't one before. And time will tell in the months and years to come exactly what that impact is going to turn out to be. Final question for you. Totally blue sky, open-ended, independent of ODLB. 
What sorts of things would you like to see happen in the longevity biotech space that aren't happening yet? Number one, what would be really interesting is to have a concerted effort in terms of figuring out the kinds of data and biomarkers that will be measured in clinical trials. I think people are, are trying to create these roadmaps in which we'll use to get future therapeutics approved for aging or age-related disease through targeting aging. Right now, I know there are different foundations working on maybe like epigenetic age clocks and using them as potential like surrogate biomarkers. But I think it would be great to have the entire industry come together and agree on certain standards in terms of what kind of biomarkers will be measured during clinical trials so that everybody's kind of measuring the same thing so that all this data can be collated together at some point to create a robust surrogate biomarker for aging or age-related disease, some sort of composite there. But um, I think that would be really great. And that's sort of like a community building effort too, right? Just reaching out to everybody and bring them together. So I think someone should definitely do that. But then what else could we do in the community? I think just more outreach. I don't think enough people know about this space. And if, you know, you talk to Matt Caberline, like the amount of funding, you know, from the NIA or NIH budget actually going to like geroscience research is very small. So I think just more efforts in popularizing this geroscience paradigm, actually targeting aging. I think there's a lot to be done there as well. Along those lines, something that I was really excited to hear about, our last guests on the podcast were from the Alliance for Longevity Initiatives, which is a nonprofit that's going to start lobbying the government to adopt policies that will extend healthy lifespan and spreading the word about the geroscience hypothesis and about the power of longevity biotech in general is definitely part of their remit. So I think some of this stuff is starting to happen, but I agree with you that there could always be more. Absolutely. Nathan Cheng of ODLB, thank you so much for being here and being so generous with your time and thoughts. No, thank you, Chris. It was a pleasure. Many thanks as well to our listeners and subscribers. If you have feedback or suggestions for future episodes of Translating Aging, you can contact us by email at podcast at bioagelabs.com, on Twitter at bioagepodcast, or via our LinkedIn page. You can also follow our sponsor, BioAge Labs, on Twitter and LinkedIn. We'll see you next time. <laughs>